All right, everyone. Tonight is the 13th of Tammuz. Tonight's a great Yontif. It's a Yontif for every single Jew. There was um, a friend of mine who um, visited the Rebbe from Agora. And I can say his name. I don't think he might be saying his name. He, I've shared the story before. He went to the Rebbe, and it was a regular Wednesday. It was so wise and gesund. And he was with a few other guys from Agora. And when the Rebbe came out, he was so excited, he started to dance in front of the Rebbe. And the Rebbe said to him, it, was a regular, it wasn't a holiday, the Rebbe said to him, Gutyantif. In other words, by him just celebrating and being happy, he made it into a Yantif, he made it into a holiday. So today is not a day that we have to create as a holiday, today is a holiday. As the previous Rebbe said, that not only did God redeem me on this day, but he redeemed also all those who cherish the Torah, all those who love God's commandments, and even those who are merely nicknamed Jews. On this day, Hashem redeems us and frees us and allows us to uh, connect with who we are and what we are, to reveal our Nisham, to, to reveal our soul, our deepest self. And on that note, I want to share a couple of stories um, highlighting the idea of getting in touch our deepest self and ignoring the voices of nature and the voices of um, other voices within us which hold us back from being who we really are meant to be. Moshe Herson is the dean of the yeshiva in Marstown, New Jersey, where I was privileged to study uh, a couple of years. And Rabbi Herson uh, was going to, get, going to get married. And at that time, I think it was 1962, the Rebbe had already stopped uh, leading, um, being the Messiah Kedushan, being a serving as the rabbi to uh, officiate at weddings. They had done that for many people, but in 1962, I think the Rebbe had already stopped. And Rabbi Herson's mother from Brazil visited the Rebbe, and in the private audience, she really felt bad about this. She says, Heilike Rebbe, you holy Rebbe, you, my son was educated by you. And you raised him. He would re- it would really be, mean a lot to us if you would officiate. Sever so responded that your son already knows the order, that we don't do this. But the following Shabbos, Rabbi Yalas, the great Torah giant, was visiting the Rebbe. And never called over Rabbi Herson. Never gave him a piece of cake. And he said to him, he asked Rabbi Yalas, he says, does he know, ask him if he knows, what it means to receive without, I said in Russian, the word for a napkin, like a skapita or something, to, to receive a, a piece of cake from the rabbi without a napkin. Every person nodded that he does know. What does it mean to receive from the rabbi with a napkin, without a napkin? What it means is, is the rabbi is giving a blessing without any interruption, without any intermediary. It's just a straight, pure blessing coming from heaven. Without any, without intermediaries of nature or anything, just a pure blessing beyond beyond nature. And the rehearsal felt that this was in response to his mother's request that he, the rabbi, be officiated at the, at the uh, marriage. That was saying, "I'm giving it to you all the way. I may not be able to officiate, may not be physically there, but I want you to know I am with you all the way, without any interruption, without any limitations." There was a Jew. His name was Shmuel Zamanov. 
he um, he put together the uh, book about Chabad songs, Chabad Nagunim. And he wanted um, the Rebbe to edit something, I think to edit the, the introduction of that book. And the Rebbe said that he doesn't have time. So there was a, um, a wedding taking place. And the, the, at that time, the Rebbe was officiating weddings. But for whatever reason, the Rebbe was not going to officiate that wedding. So he, I don't know what the basis of this was, but he felt that he should ask the Rebbe that since the Rebbe is not officiating at the wedding, the Rebbe now has more time. Can the Rebbe there use his time to edit the introduction to the Book of Songs, the Book of Zinaguna? That's what he told the Rebbe. It sounds very insolent to, to, to my ears, but I wasn't there. I don't know the whole story, the whole context. But that's what he asked the Rebbe. The Rebbe has more time. So the Rebbe should use the time if he's asking to edit the uh, book that he, uh, the introduction to the book of Nagoda. So the Rebbe said to him, do you think that when I am um, not there uh, physically, it's easier? That, in other words, it's, it's, it takes up less time? It's, it takes up, in other words, the Rebbe said it, it takes up even more time. To be there spiritually involves so much more. It doesn't have to be there physically to be there at the wedding, but to uh, that was to, to notify him when the wedding is going to take place because he's going to be there, to be there spiritually, but it doesn't mean to be there any less. Just because he's not there physically doesn't mean he's, he's not going to be there any less, and therefore it would take up, he, he doesn't have more time just because he's not going to be there physically. On the contrary, he, he takes up so much more of him because it just has to be there spiritually. I think this thing is very relevant to us now in the 13th of Tammuz, thinking about the Rebbe being with us on this great holiday, giving us the strength and blessing to reveal who we are and what we are and to not be affected by any limitations that we see in our personal soul mission, if to be conscious of the fact that there are no limitations. That the Rebbe gives us, without any limitations, no, no, no uh, intermediaries, no, um, that's not filtered. Rabbi Meir Harlik, of Shalom, who um, worked in the Rebbe's office all of the years of the Rebbe's leadership, um, I think he merited to be on almost every single Hasidic gathering that the uh, Rebbe gave. I'll never forget once I saw him speaking to Rabbi Gershman Gorelik, and they were both a little bit tipsy after a Fabringen. Rabbi Gershman said, how many Fabringens did you miss? You know, it was long, decades and decades of the Rebbe's gatherings and davening. And the mayor, I think he said he missed two or three or like very, very few occasions that he wasn't there. And um, Rabbi Khan Khan said about Rameir, he said, if, I don't know, Rabbi said it very, very emotionally, very, very passionately. He said, I don't know if Rameir knows the meaning of the highest phase of Chachmi Yulah called Chachmistima. I don't know if he's able to explain this intricate concept in Chassidus called Chachmistima, which is a very, hard, a very deep concept in Chassidus, but I do know that for a mayor, it makes no difference to him whether the Rebbe is sharing a Hasidic discourse, whether the Rebbe is sharing a regular sicha, regular talk, or whether the Rebbe is just arriving to pray with everyone and not doing anything at all, just being there with everyone. I know for a mayor, it's the same thing. That's the kind of Hasid he was. And the Rebbe trusted him in a different way, without a handkerchief, if you will, without a napkin, if you will, 
on a couple of a couple of occasions that I know of that he shared. Um, one occasion, um, Reb Meir, when he was a yeshiva student, he had a very uh, strong um, stomach issue. He had to go to the doctor every so often to get a shot. On one occasion, he went to a doctor, he got a shot, and the doctor said, the, the secretary, the doctor called him back, and, he, and the doctor said, we gave you the wrong shot, and therefore, we do the right shot, besides giving you the right shot, you have to, we need you to rest for, for a little while, you have, to, you have to rest, okay? Subsequent to this, he was in a private audience with the Rebbe, and the Rebbe, he told the Rebbe this whole thing, it was obviously concerning to him, you know, what the doctor said, the doctor gave him the wrong shot, and the Rebbe said to him something to the effect of, can I give you my advice? He said, sure. The Rebbe said, if my advice is that you should keep the Seder, keep the order, the regimen of Torah classes of the yeshiva, and then you won't need to have any more shots. The Rebbe said, keep the regimen of learning of the yeshiva, you will not need to have any more shots. The mayor said, and that was a, he kept the, the regimen of study of the yeshiva, and he never again needed to have a medical shot. Without a, without, a, without a napkin, without an interruption, without an intermediary, just a blessing. Another occasion, um, the Rebbe called a mayor in to give him a certain mission. The Rebbe said to him that he wants him to go to um, the airport and uh, he should um, bring a package of matzah to the airport and uh, he's going to see there a businessman in Pan, Pan Am, Pan Am Airlines, Allah Go to Pan Am. You'll see a businessman there. I want you to give him this package of matzah. And also, they gave him their recent letter that they had published addressed to all the Jewish people. And they tell this businessman that he sees when he gives him the matzah, that the Rebbe extends his blessings to all those who he will distribute the matzah to. And also to give him this letter that they had published for the upcoming holiday of Passover. And then they asked him, Do you have money for the taxi? He says, yes. But the Rebbe said, do you have money for the way back? He said, yes. The Rebbe said, do you have money for the tip? He said, yes. So the Rebbe was satisfied. He took the package of matzahs and he comes to uh, the airport and he sees this businessman there, as the Rebbe had predicted. And the Rebbe and he just arrives there in the terminal at Pan Am and he gives the guy the... Um, the guy says to him, where are you coming from? He says, from Lubavitch. He says, do you have something for me? He says, where are you going? He says, I'm going to the Far East. So Mayor gave him the matzahs, told him the Rebbe's message. And before he could say another word, the guy sort of went back into the crowd and didn't see him again. He was very curious to know, you know what, what this was about. They were sending matzah to the airport to meet this guy in the airport. He came, but he came back to 770 and he found out that when he came back, they were already, already asked several times where is he? What's going on? And finally, he came into the Rebbe's office, and the Rebbe said, um, "You did your shlichus. You did your mission. I did my mission, and both of us did the mission of Hashem. You did your shlichus. I did my shlichus, and together we both did the shlichus of, of the Eibushter of Hashem. And um, on another occasion." And I'm pointing out that he was given a unique role over here, you know, that he, not knowing the meaning of, of what this was about, just go and bring this. And another occasion, um, usually on the night of Simchas Torah, 
Rebbe encourages all of his chassidim not to stay at the, with the Rebbe when the Rebbe is holding court and sharing Ifabrengen with everyone. But all the students, all the chassidim are meant to go to the, throughout New York and to share the joy of the holiday and the, and the, and the chassidists that they learn with other Jews and other shuls and other synagogues. But a mayor, he was, since he was working in the Rebbe's office, he needed to stay at the Rebbe's Ifabrengen. And so he was there, in the, and one year on Tzimchas Torah, the Rebbe finished his first talk. The Rebbe gave the mayor two pieces of cake. And he said to him, I want you to go outside. There, it was raining. He said, go outside. There are Jews outside. And tell them that you're giving them cake from me. Okay. Which two Jews outside, right? No. He didn't ask any questions. He went outside. Met two Jews. It was raining, raining, pouring rain. And he gave them the cake from the Rebbe. And that was it. That was, that was, the, uh, that was the mission. It's not, the point is not that what, what was accomplished wasn't accomplished. The point is that it was just, there was, there was a trust there. That the Rebbe knew he could trust him and the mayor had his trust in the Rebbe that he could just go without knowing what it's about. Without a, without a napkin, without a handkerchief, without an interruption, without a limitation, just to go. On that note, more of a contemporary story. In 2014, there was a yeshiva student, not from uh, Hasidic circles. He was, he was um, trying to get married, he was getting older and trying to find his bashert, his uh, spouse-to-be, but he uh, was unsuccessful. And he was in a restaurant in Brooklyn, and he, met, he meets this, um, this famous Jewish singer, I'm going to mispronounce his name, I read it in Hebrew, I don't know, uh, it's in the recent Kvarach magazine. He shared the story firsthand to Bishol Tritel, how he met this, this singer called Shia Burkow. Shia Burkow is in this, this, this singer, and Shia Burkow and him have this, this deep, heartfelt, heart-to-heart talk. He tells Shia about he wants to, um, he wants to uh, um, get married, and he says to Shia, you know, I'm giving you, just spontaneously, I'm giving you a dollar, and I want you to sing at my wedding. This is a deposit of you going to be at my wedding and sing at my wedding. She says, okay. And he writes the dollar, Ruvain, that's the name of the boy, Ruvain. Okay. Yisrael Tritel, was the emissary, um, shared how he was working at that time in the Ohel. In the Ohel, there's a desk there where they have a, a um, man by various yeshiva students to help people coming to visit their Ohel. And he sees this yeshiva student, and the yeshiva student comes over to him and starts talking. And when they finish talking, the yeshiva students see this two, it, was, it was early morning, it was like almost daybreak, and uh, it was really late, late at night, almost daybreak, and this, there's no one there, just this boy, and then all of a sudden two guys come in the Ovel, people come in all hours of the night, people, these two guys come in, and the yeshiva was so excited, as if like, like Mashiach came, he was so excited, he was, he was overwhelmed with emotion, and he talks to these two people, enter the Ovel, and he comes, who enter the, the um, area outside the Ovel, he comes back to the desk, and this Yisrael said, you have to tell him what just happened. He said, listen, uh, I met this guy uh, years ago, and I told him that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to find the Shidduch, and we had this conversation, and I gave him a deposit. Right now, I was, I'm in the middle of, of a Shidduch, and I um, wasn't sure if I should go forward or not. I was like, having this doubt. And it wasn't like a, a question, it was more like a doubt. 
Molek, you know, in a Molek, like just sitting down and then like, is this, is it, is it really going to work? As opposed to like a question, but just a, just a gnawing doubt. And, I'm, and I come out of the Ohel, and who do I see? I see Shia broke out. I see the guy I gave a dollar to long, long ago, and, and me seeing him here to me feels like an answer from the Rebbe. Like, this is going to happen. And Shia Burkow, sure enough, took out the dollar, and his name, Ruvain, I got the deposit, and we're going to party. So, uh, the 13th of Tammuz is about the blessings and miracles of Hashem, specifically about being steadfast to your soul's mission, and not to be affected by the voice of nature, by the voice of your own animal soul. I'll share a personal story on that note, just happened recently here, and perhaps it's a story which is relevant, should never be relevant, but it's something which, which to me was something novel, and I'm sure it's novel to many others who were standing in my shoes. Unfortunately, very often, um, I get called to go to the hospital to say the last prayers with someone who is, God forbid, I'm, I'm, I'm about to pass away. And uh, I, when I get that kind of a call, I don't delay, I go straight. And uh, unfortunately, I, I, I missed someone, I came too late, a few years ago. And I resolved, we know there, they'll never get that call, and I go straight away. I'm not going to delay at all. If I'm able to, I go straight to say those prayers at the bedside of someone who, God forbid, is, is, is on by death's door. So I think it was four Sundays ago, I got a phone call from someone from Israel. I was about to play basketball with my son. This guy says, my, he says his mother was in Canoga Park, which is about 45 minutes away from here. And she's there, and she's 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 not. Um, the doctors don't have anything good to say, and uh, he wants me to go speak to his brother about giving her a kosher funeral because his brother wanted to cremate her. So I didn't think about step number two. Just think about step number one. He's about to pass away. I need to say vidu. I need to go to her bedside. So I I, I went right away. I went to Kenobi Park, and. The um, brothers outside, and I wanted to say hello, but there was clearly a, a major resistance on the part of the brother to my presence there. He had um, no interest in a rabbi being there, and his mother have anything to do, his mother have any um, religious rites for her to have a kosher burial. It was, he wanted her to be cremated, and he, he saw my presence there as a threat. Like, what am I doing there? So I tried to open up a conversation. I said, I'm so sorry about your mother. He says, she's not, hasn't passed away, and I am not going to do anything other than her wishes, which is to cremate. That's what she wants. I'm like, listen, I'm just here to say vidui, to say a prayer with her. I come inside. He lets me come inside. Did you say the prayer and you leave? Okay. I, I, I said, um, it's, it's in who sent you here because my brother wants. It's important to your brother. It's important to my brother that you say this prayer, isn't it? It's my brother that's pushing you to be here. Like he, in other words, like, it's, I don't like my brother, and I don't want you to be here. And I said, listen, it's not your brother, it's important to me. That I, I drove for 45 minutes because it's important to me to say these prayers with your mother because this is, a, this is something that's good for her. It's important to me. I said, okay, come inside. I come inside, I say the vidu. Vidu is said, even if God forbid the person is not able to respond, or not even physically able to hear, we still say the, the, the prayers, 
And of course, it's a really um, sobering experience every single time. I should never have to do it again. Say the prayers and it's time to go. And I leave. The guy doesn't even say goodbye. He's very upset that I'm even there. But he's somewhat softened. I don't know how much, but that was it. Anyway, she passed away a few hours later. The brother from Israel calls me and he says, we now have to stop the cremation. But I said, but she signed a document. She wants to cremate herself. How can we stop the cremation? He, he is, this, this brother is living in Bnei Barak in Israel. He has no idea how things work. No, not, he's not in Bnei Barak. He's not living in Bnei Barak, but he is living in a place where they have no idea the goings on in America. And he's like, listen, we can give a few dollars to the people in the morgue and we'll steal the body. Well, this guy has no idea how things work over here. This is not how it works. This is not going to happen. He says, listen, we have to do whatever we can. And I'm thinking, like, we should do whatever we can, but what can we do? Legally, the mother signed that she wants to be cremated. What kind of recourse do we have? So I called my friend, Rabbi Ami Myers, who is a very uh, successful attorney over here. And Ami agreed to put his name on the line and to sign a letter to stating that um, this, this, this decision is being contested. And we're not, and the, the brother, another member of the family, contests the right of his, his brother to cremate his mother. And they're contesting this and they're not allowing this to happen. He doesn't want this to happen. And according to Jewish law, he added, according to Jewish law, it's unlikely that his mother would want this to happen because, um, because his mother was, was religious. And since, since she was religi religious, it's unlikely that this would really be her through wishes. And probably there's something else going on because his mother, in her right mind, would never do this. Now, Ami said, like, I'm going to do this, but there's no way this is going to win in court. It can't win in court because this is not just, the way it works is that this decision was notarized, people testifying, um, this was three months before, it was about four months ago, people testifying clearly that the mother is with it and she's deciding with a full mind, with a clear mind, that this is what she wants to do. So in court, there's no way this is going to win. But Ami agreed to send the letter anyways, knowing that it's not going to win in court. Anyways, the letter is sent. The morgue cancels the cremation temporarily until things are resorted between these two brothers. And uh, by the way, the, the, the way that um, we found out where the number to the morgue in the first place was a miracle. Because the religious brother said, he called up his brother and he made some kind of a a story about some religious need to know when the cremation is happening, and we asked him all kinds of questions until his brother got nervous. He said, you call, them, you call the morgue. That's how we found out where the morgue was. That's how the, the lawyer was able to send a letter saying we, that, 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 this, that he has been retained by the brother, and he is against, he's going to fight, and he does not want to allow this, this cremation to happen. But again, there's no legal recourse. There's nothing behind our case. But uh, then we discovered something. The discovery was that three months before um, she passed away, together with signing that she wants to be cremated, she also signed that she wants to write her religious son out of the will, 
whatever property that she has that's supposed to go to her religious son, she's excluding him from her will. She only wants to give her will to her non-religious son who's taking care of her, and therefore um, uh, her, her religious son is, is going to be left penniless out of the will. So Rabbi Myers figured out that the reason why the brother was so against um, allowing her to be buried wasn't only because of the cost of the burial, because we offered to pay all the cost of the burial, but he wasn't, he, he wasn't interested. The reason he wasn't interested was because together with the um, document stating that his mother um, should be cremated, at the same time, she also stated that she wants to write out her religious son out of the will. So if we were to contest the uh, right of the brother to cremate her, we're also contesting his right to her entire estate. And that was partially where the resistance was coming from. It was also coming from the fact that he is not religious and he felt he has to like protect, protect his pride and do something which is totally against Judaism, as everyone knows, and as Rebbe said, that cremating is something that even the Nazis didn't do to their own children. They only did it to Jews. But it's not something that, 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 that any, it's, it's, it's something which is devoid of all decency, because in order to honor the person who passed away, you have to give them a kosher burial. It's something which helps their body and soul in the afterlife. And just something which is about a, a normal respect to someone who passed away. And cremation is, is, is completely against Judaism. Anyways, so the, um, the court um, is expected to, um, to make a decision. But before the court makes a decision, because the brother saw, the, the non-religious brother saw that there was some kind of friction, and he spoke to his lawyer, and his lawyer spoke to Ami, and basically it came out that if we were to accept the will, then he wouldn't contest his younger brother's, uh, his younger brother stating that she was not in her right mind, saying that she wants to be cremated. That can't be something that she wanted to do. In other words, we wore him down. He, he, he realized it's not worth going to court. As long as we can agree that the will is okay, we're not going to fight about the, um, um, the uh, cremation. There were other elements that gave us a case in court. Number one is that the religious, the religious friends of her, the mothers who also were ready to testify that she was... Um, she was going to be, um, it doesn't make sense she would want to be cremated. And there was um, also evidence that the paper that she signed has other, other, other problems with it. But those were all things that may have helped us in court if we would have gone to a full hearing. But what, what the reason why things stopped wasn't because the judge saw some merit in the case. It was because we didn't ask questions. The brother, the religious brother, said, we just need to go and do whatever we can and stop this. And that's what we did. And Baruch Hashem, because of this, the brother agreed to, to um, waive his rights to have the, the will fulfilled, the way to have this uh, request for commission fulfilled. But the problem was like this. By the time the brother came back and said he's ready to let her be buried, by the time that happened, this already arrived in, in court. And the judge had to now, we need, need the decision of the judge. And the, uh, because the judge saw there's an argument, so it was no longer something they could resolve without, outside of court. The morgue already transferred the decision to the court, and it was impossible for 
the brothers to decide this themselves is already given to the hands of the court. Now it's a bigger problem because now the judge may see himself as a protector of the rights of the mother and he may say, well, you guys have your opinion. I'm just looking at the will straight up. This is what you wanted and she needs to be cremated because that's what she asked for. That's what might, may have happened. That was, and that was the danger. This is, um, and, and also logic doesn't make any sense. How could the will be accurate and her desire to be cremated not be accurate? Either she was in her right mind for both or not for both. So legally, there was no, there's no way legally that the judge right could say this is okay and this is not okay. But what happened was a miracle. The judge ruled that the cremation has to stop and she needs to be buried. And the judge accepts the right of the, um, the religious brother. To, to, he accepts him forfeiting his rights to her estate. And he upholds his request that she should be buried. And Baruch Hashem, she was buried. You know, it says in the Code of Jewish Law that when God forbid someone passes away, there are two blessings. One blessing is Dayan Hamas, the true judge. Another blessing is Hatova Meitad, one who is good and does good. The reason that blessing is recited is because you have an inheritance. Since you have an inheritance, you thank God for their inheritance. However, I don't know anybody who says that blessing. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not the Jewish custom to say it. I just personally never heard anyone saying that blessing. The second blessing, Hatova Meitad. However, this brother, who was waiting for three weeks to bury his mother, sent me a, a picture of the funeral and said, Baruch blessed is the one who is God and does good. And Baruch uh, Hashem, she was brought to Kevi Yisrael to the Jewish burial miraculously. That blessing, Hatova Hametiv, actually originates from the, those who were killed in Betar, those who were killed in, by the Romans in their revolt in Betar. The Romans didn't allow those Jews who were killed to be buried. And miraculously, their bodies did not decay. And miraculously, the Romans allowed them to be buried. And therefore, every single day, we recite that blessing. Whenever we eat a meal, why is, that, why is it so significant that the Romans allowed them to be buried and their bodies didn't decay? I mean, what's the big deal? Is that like the biggest thing ever, that we thank God every day for that? I mean, what's so, what's, why is that so important? The reason it's so important is because it was possible for people to think that after the destruction of the temple, that God's no longer with us, the miracles will cease, that God's not going to show His hand anymore. And yet, Hatova Metiv, miraculously God allowed them to be buried, and, allow, and miraculously their bodies did not decay. And so too, the 13th of Tammuz is a holiday that happens in the time of the exile, before the coming of Mashiach, and yet it's an out-and-out, open-and-clear miracle, a miracle that's Chosavayi miracle without any napkins, without any concealment, and it reminds us that we need to give our all in spreading the Torah and Judaism, especially in Jewish education of children. To educate Jewish children, which is that's what the previous Rebbe fought for. The previous Rebbe could have easily kept himself and studied Torah himself. No one would have bothered him. The previous Rebbe put everything on the line to, to teach Jewish children Torah, which was completely illegal. And he sent his students throughout Russia to create a network of underground schools. And today, Kal Homer, if the previous Rebbe gave his life and chassimly their lives to teach Torah to children, how much more so should we give of ourselves, not be affected by all kinds of voices within and without when it comes to trying to reach out to a, a child, whether it's a child in age or a child in knowledge, and to give of ourselves to reach out and inspire the Jew to study Torah 
and may Hashem help us all to reveal who we are and what we are and devote ourselves to the shlichus and the huge return blessing from Hashem when we give up ourselves. As we learned last week, Hashem says, open up for me like the eye of a needle, and I'll open up so much more for you. And Bill McVoy, thank you for David. Bill McVoy as well, to give of ourselves, not to be not to be affected by the, the voices of nature. And let's go. And then Hashem will, L'chaim L'chaim, good yantiv, afreil chayantiv, Hashem will open the door for us so much more. And Hashem should open the door of, of the, the coming of Mashiach. So we should see the coming of Mashiach tonight and celebrate tonight the resurrection of the dead and the coming of, and the building of the Beis Hamikdash and rejoice and be happy forever and ever. L'chaim L'chaim L'chaim, a good yantiv, a good yantiv. Thank <laughs> you.